0: Thomas Campbell and his group that had kind of formed and uh, they were they had broken away from the Seceder Church and and they decided to go in a better direction and uh, of course this is happening in uh, in a place called Washington Pennsylvania not too far from uh, uh, Philadelphia at any rate uh, they come together and formed this association of course. People with denominational backgrounds, that's kind of one of the first things they want to do, and these men were no different. They were headed out of air, they were looking to uh, move into the light of truth, but uh, they still had a ways to go. At any rate, they were moving in that direction, and so they formed this Christian Association of Washington. But now here's the thing, they they were not going to recognize this association as the church, which was something that was different at this time. Uh we look at the uh Catholic Association, and in essence that's what that is, they view that as the church. Uh the Southern Baptist Convention. They make rules and laws and, and things of that nature, and they and people view that as the church. Uh kind of the the, the head of the church here on earth, right? That's that's their mindset. That wasn't really what these men were thinking, but at any rate, <coughs> uh, they weren't, uh, close to the apostolic teaching. They were still in that denominational mindset, but they were again headed in the right direction. We talked about, uh, their declaration and uh, associate, or, uh, declaration and address. Their declaration and address kind of set forth their, uh, principles. Kind of similar to to a creed in the sense that it stated uh, uh, different uh, ideas and beliefs they had, but the underlying idea of their declaration and address was to go to the Bible and let the Bible be the authority. And so uh, this declaration and address is uh, one of the more famous documents that came about during that time, and it really gives us an insight into the mindset of these men who were working their way back toward truth. Uh, It's divided into three parts. We mentioned that the Declaration gave the purpose and the plan of the association. The address went into more detail describing the forces at work in the religious world, which necessitated a restoration movement. And the third part was this appendix designed to answer any questions uh, and to refute arguments against the purpose of the association. <coughs> so even at that, we can see that kind of in the back of their minds, they understand there might be some pushback on the idea of an association. After all, what had their their drive been? Let's do away with creeds and articles of faith and things like that. So really, uh, they were, I think, in the back of their minds seeing that this probably... Was not, uh, uh, what it ought to be. And of course that underlying statement that we said, uh, their motto, where the Bible speaks, we speak, where the Bible's silent, we'll, we're silent in doctrine, uh, or in faith, uh, they have to, uh, uh, stick to the principles of the Bible. And in opinion, you can kind of, you know, we have to have grace with one another. And that's the essence of of what they were talking about. And that gets, leads us up to where we cut off. Now, meanwhile, all this was going on, Thomas Campbell still had some family back in Ireland. Uh, they were waiting on news for him to call to them to send word to come and meet him in America. And eventually that happened. In uh, March of 1808, <clears throat> now we're kind of getting into some some numbers that are uh, we identify with a little better as we look back through history, right? <clears throat> uh, we're in the 19th century now. But in 1808, March of that year, the letter arrived in asking his family to join him in America. <clears throat> so, they prepared to leave. Well, it's almost common when you read about things happening at this time because of... of uh, you know, advancements hadn't hadn't been made in a whole lot of areas, particularly travel, medicine, uh communication, things like that. It seems like any time someone put a plan together to do something, uh, invariably something would happen to kind of prevent that. Well, something happened. Smallpox. Smallpox broke out. So that kinda of suppressed their ability to be able to go. And uh uh Instead of leaving in March, they weren't able to to attempt to leave until September of 1808. And so, uh, uh, but on September the 28th, they were going to leave, and again, something happened. The ship they were on began to have problems, okay? It was having a difficult time setting sail. Hard to get out into the ocean, whatever the problem was. The ship was having a difficult time, and it wasn't until October the 1st that they actually went out to sea on this long journey headed to uh, America. <clears throat> well, they weren't at sea for long, and the ship wrecked. One thing right after the other. Now, uh, during this time, the ship had wrecked their... Uh, <clears throat> Their plans had been uh, thwarted on to come to America. And during this time, Alexander Campbell began to think about his life. He had some time to think about the direction in which he was going. Uh, The trip was uh, uh, postponed because of this. And so he had come to the understanding and the desire and the determination that he would devote his life to preaching. Now, on November the 8th, Alexander Campbell entered Glasgow University where his father had gone to school about 25 years prior to that. Now, a lot of people look at this and say, well, that's providential. Uh, The smallpox, the difficulty trying to set sail, setting sail and then crashing the boat. uh, Providential that that pushed Alexander to the point where he did some self-reflection and he decided decided <coughs> excuse me decided to pursue his love of the of the scripture and to become a preacher and they say, okay well, that's providential well very well may be providential I don't know he was a great man in this restoration movement we're talking about we won't know if it's providential uh, on this side of eternity but at any rate he enrolled in uh, Glasgow University on November the eighth eighteen o eight of that year. <coughs> Now, uh, not only had his father gone to Glasgow, but Alexander had some of the very same professors that his father had, particularly two professors. Uh, one of the uh, professors, though, who probably had the greatest impact on Campbell, died about 12 years before he got there. But it was someone under whom his father Thomas had studied. And his name was Thomas Reed. Thomas Reed came with the philosophy called the Common Sense uh, School of Scottish Philosophy. Okay? And really, the name says it all. A Common Sense uh, School of Scottish Philosophy. And it came about in direct opposition to many of the schools of thought at that time, such as skepticism. Uh, empiricalism, things of that nature. We'll kind of get into that. We're not going to spend a lot of time on it. But, uh, Thomas Reed made such an impact that a hundred years following his death, his philosophy was still being taught, still being studied, and much of it still is around today. And he had a great influence on a whole lot of people. In fact, he had a great influence on a lot of our founding fathers who, uh, uh, was affected by his philosophy such as Hamilton, uh, Jefferson, Madison, other men who were well-known during the colonial American period of time. And so he had some outreaching ideas that that affected and impressed the minds of a lot of people. Now, again, we're not going to spend a great deal of time on this, but we need to understand why this affected Alexander Campbell, and we're going to be able to see it in his works later on. Not the full extent of this, because it had some some difficulties in it, but we see the the underlying idea of it, <clears throat> and we see it in our own lives as well. Common sense philosophy is based in the principle as articulated by Reed. Now he said this, <clears throat> If there are certain principles, he said, as I think there are, Which the constitution of nature leads us to believe in which we are under a necessity to take for granted in the common concerns of life without being able to give a reason for them. That's a very important statement. These are what we call the principles of common sense. And what it, and what is manifestly contrary to them is what we call absurd. Okay, now again, this was an answer to skepticism and the empirical philosophy. Now, he says there are things which we have to take for granted without being able to give a reason for them. What could that be? What could that be? Uh, now, you know, you can take anything too far, right? Can we see God? Can we understand the mind of God? Uh, uh, beyond what He has given to us. Someone explain to me, why is there an eternal being? We don't have that answer, do we? Why? We don't have the mind of God. Why would God want to go to all the trouble He went to as He has uh, interacted in the history of His creation? God is love, but why is God love? See, we go back. We can't give a reason for that, right? So, and that's right, just because. And so that fits right in with this common sense uh, Scottish school of philosophy, doesn't it? <clears throat> he is saying that everything can't, all knowledge can't be based on empirical uh, information. You can't see it, you can't smell it, you can't touch it. Uh, but are there things that, uh exist in this world that you can't do any of that to but they're real now here's an example he gave <clears throat> he said truth can be discovered through perception and reflection okay he said I can likewise conceive an individual object that really exists such as St. Paul's Church in London He said, I have an idea of it, I can conceive it, but the immediate object of this conception is 400 miles away. I have no reason to think it acts upon me or that I act upon it. Okay, we can think of the White House in Washington, D.C. Now, some of us have been to the White House, okay? Uh, But what about this? Uh, I can think of the planet Pluto or the subplanet or the dwarf planet or whatever it's been relegated to. I can conceive of that. I can think about it. My brethren, I've never seen that planet. I've never touched that planet. I've never been on the surface of that planet if it has a uh, a surface that's not made of gas, which I think it it is. Uh, I think it's a solid surface. But does it exist? Does it impact my life? Not really. Not really. Do I impact the existence of that planet? Not really. But in that idea of being able to perceive something, we see a flaw in Reed's thinking, which Alexander Campbell overcame. He said, I can perceive this church in London but it doesn't act upon me and I don't act upon it. Does everything that we can't give a reason for fit into that category? Can we see God? Can we touch God? Can we smell God? Can we can we uh, physically interact with God? No. But does He impact us and do we act upon Him? Absolutely. And so we see some of the good basis for this common sense, because it's really just that, isn't it? It's common sense. We can't understand things and know they exist and be confident that they are true without being able to see it with our very eyes. Okay? Uh, I can't see the gravitational pull of the moon on the earth. Can we see the effects of it? Sure, we can see the effects of it, but... How do, I, how do I relate that to the moon? Well, I wouldn't be able to personally without the process of science beginning to understand gravity, Newton coming up with that idea, and then being able to see how uh, bodies af- uh, affect uh, uh, smaller bodies and how smaller bodies, we're talking about uh, uh, universal bodies in the, in the atmosphere, And then we begin to understand, okay, there's a gravitational pull, there's this, there's that, but I can't see gravity, right? I can see the result of gravity. I can't see gravity, I can't touch gravity, you know, in in our mind as far as uh, being an empirical thought, right? So we see that the idea of uh, this common sense philosophy has some merit to it, but it also has some deficiencies. But at the same time, we see how this empirical philosophy has some merit to it, right? God expects us to be able to uh, search out something and to be able to identify it, but we don't always identify it through empirical means. We walk by faith, not by sight, right? And so, knowing that, Alexander Campbell was the type of man who could look at two things, and then be able to say okay i see the good in this i see the good in that but I also see the deficiency in it right and then be able to put that to use in his thinking and that went a long way in his idea <clears throat> of uh coming to truth to the truth of the gospel any comments questions okay Let's look at some other things that happened to Alexander Campbell while he was at Glasgow. He he began... Now, remember, Alexander Campbell is a member of the uh, seceder, anti-burger branch of the Presbyterian Church, okay? He hasn't had contact with his father, okay? There's going to be a period of about two years where they didn't really have much contact other than maybe a letter or something like that. His father's in Philadelphia. He's in... uh Ireland, now he's in Scotland, going to school. But he comes into contact with several different people. He comes into contact with a group of people who uh, have this independent thought. They're kind of pushing away from the Presbyterian church themselves. And uh, uh, one of those men uh, was named Robert Haldane, okay? They were part of and helped kind of form an independent church much like what we read about was happening with Thomas Campbell over in Philadelphia, right? Much like what we read about happened with James O'Kelly, what happened with Robert or uh, Barton W. Stone, right? And so we're seeing in different parts of the world how people are pushing away from denominationalism and they're headed toward this independent thought of there's something better. This isn't we're not really doing this correct. And so he began to uh interact with Haldane and some of those people. Uh and at the same time another movement kind of caught his eye. A man by the name of John Glass. He had been deposed from the uh Church of Scotland in 1730. Why? Well, he had some thoughts and he was teaching some things that the Church of Scotland didn't appreciate, which was biblical truth. Okay? <clears throat> they wanted their people to stick to uh, what they taught. So he had organized independent churches in various cities in Scotland. So Alexander Campbell, he's kind of interacting and mingling with these people with this kind of an idea. And uh, uh, now here's what Glass taught. He denied creeds and confessionals. Okay, so that's a positive. He also taught there were two offices in the church. You had the extraordinary, and then you had the ordinary. Now, the extraordinary, you had the apostles, you had the prophets, and you had evangelists. Okay? So he kind of missed it there just a little bit. But then he said you had the ordinary, elders and deacons. Not only did you have elders and deacons, he said you had to have a plurality of elders. Well, that was something that was kind of new, wasn't it? Or at least, it wasn't very common. And so we see all of these things, uh, uh, impacting Alexander Campbell. And at the same time, Glass said, you have to observe the Lord's Supper every week. That's what the Bible teaches. Now that wasn't something that, that Alexander Campbell did. He didn't, uh, he didn't go along with that at the time. In fact, he was doing a whole lot of things that the rest of the denominational world was doing. Infant baptism was okay. They observed the Lord's Supper about twice a year and, uh, <clears throat> you know, things of that nature. So he's beginning to see this. But as with any kind of uh, movement, you have different personalities, right? And Alexander Campbell was influenced by these different types of personalities. You had Glass on one hand. You had Haldane on the other you had another man who was, uh, kind of partnering up with Glass a little bit. His name was Sandman. S-A-N-D-E-M-A-N. But they were all kind of headed in a similar direction. They were all pushing away from, uh, denominationalism, but they had very distinct, uh, characters. Okay? Uh, Haldane was not one who had a controversial spirit. He's described that way. On the other hand, this man Sandman was quite the opposite. And years later, in in his writings, Alexander Campbell talked about these two men. He talked about how they influenced his thought, his independent thinking. But he talked about their character. He said, uh, concerning Sandman and Haldane, he said, how they can be associated under one species is to me a matter of surprise. The former, a pedobaptist, the latter, a Baptist. Uh, the former, talking about Sandman, as keen, as sharp, as censorious, as acrimonious, as juvenile. Now, Juvenal was a Roman poet active in the late 1st century and early 2nd century. Known for his uh, <clears throat> uh, anger and his bitterness, okay? That's kind of what uh, acrimonious means. And so you've got Sandman that was a little angry. He was kind of bitter at times. He didn't have a good bedside manner, but he was extremely intelligent. He wanted to do the right thing, but it's almost like he stood in his own way sometimes. Now, the other man, he was very kind, he was very charitable, he was mild. <clears throat> he was condescending, not in the sense that he was condescending to other people. He was condescending in his own personality. He uh, uh, didn't try to be in the forefront. He didn't try to <clears throat> uh, cause problems and controversy. He simply was searching for the truth. Uh, he went on to say, uh, as authors, I know them well. The one is like the mountain storm that roars among the cliffs, the other like the balmy zephyrs that breathe upon banks of violets. And so, are there good qualities to, to both of those characters' characteristics? Sure, <clears throat> there's good qualities. You want to be able to stand up for the truth. But I think maybe uh, Mr. Salmon was going a little too far. On the other hand, uh, you want to be meek and mild and charitable, but you don't want to be able to just be run over and pushed around and just submit to anything that comes along because you don't like controversy. Okay? I think uh, the Lord's church uh, has been harmed over the years in its leadership because you have too much of one, not enough of the other, whichever way that is, right? You have too much of say an eldership that just goes along to get along, or you have an eldership that is is not kind and loving and charitable, and it's almost like they want to rule with an iron fist. And look, that's not the thing, right? That's not what happens. <clears throat> Jesus taught against that, right? He said, don't be like the heathens. Don't be like the heathen. Uh, they rule with an iron fist, right? We're not supposed to do that. Does that mean that an eldership, uh, or the leadership of a, of a particular congregation that they don't have any authority? Well, that's absolutely not what that means. But they have to exercise that authority properly. Well, any comments, questions? Well, being a, uh, uh, an avid, independent thinker himself and being around these other people who influenced him, who who kind of, even stirred his independent thinking up even more, uh, he began to examine himself as far as his relation with the seceder church. Okay, Uh, Slowly, he was led in the direction of doubt as he began to read the Scripture and look at the... Uh, creeds and the uh, uh, confessions of faith of this seceder church as a religious group. And so, uh, a very critical time happened around this period. He had this independent thinking spirit. He was being influenced. And at the same time, uh, the semi-annual communion service, uh, began to happen near his, uh, near the end of his time in Glasgow. Now, Here's how the seceded church handled communion. Again, it was semi-annual. That means twice a year. But what they did for those who were going to take communion and partake of the emblems, they would give them a metal token. If you wanted to partake of the emblems, you had to bring that metal token. What happens if you didn't have a metal token? You're out. You don't partake of the emblems. Why? Well, they wanted to keep the trash out. They wanted to keep those who were unworthy away from partaking of the emblems, right? I mean, after all, these are holy emblems, right? We probably bought this grape juice. I don't know, at Sam's? Is that where we got it, Clay? We get this grape juice at Sam's? Yeah? I don't know where we get the crackers, but I could go buy the juice and the crackers. Anybody could go buy this stuff. Does that? Now, I'm not taking away from the fact that we're using proper emblems and in the context that we participate, it's not just a, a, a cracker and a, it's not lunch, right? It's a memorial service to help bring to remembrance what Jesus did for it by taking the emblems reminding us of, of the sacrifice of His body, the shedding of His blood, right? But they looked at it more like the Catholic Church looked at it. It's the actual body and blood, right? So if you you can't take it if you're not worthy. Well, since Alexander Campbell was from Ireland, and he came to Glasgow, and he didn't have any kind of letter of recommendation, he had to sit for an exam to find out if he was worthy to take the emblems to participate in the service. Well, he passed the exam, <clears throat> but the very next day, his conscience began to bother him. And he began to understand, I don't see a precedence for that in the New Testament. So, as he sat and the, and the, the tray came along, he w- he refused to partake of the emblems, and he just stuck his little metal token in there and that was the end of the relationship of Alexander Campbell and the Presbyterian seceder anti-burger version of the denomination of which he was a part. It ended right there. Any comments? Questions? Brother Joe. That was absolutely a closed communion. We don't practice closed communion, do we? I remember when I was up at, uh, Whittler Hill, we had a, had a fella, was a deacon and he was, you know, he tried hard and I think he was a good man. He was faithful and he, uh, <clears throat> he had a friend and he met the, he came to be friends with this fella because their sons played uh, baseball together. His friend noticed that if we, if they played baseball on Wednesday nights, he wasn't there. And then he came to find out, well, he's at church services. So that influenced him. <coughs> so. He had these two young boys, uh, he was having a rough time in his marriage, come to find out his wife was being unfaithful to him. And so he became, he came, started visiting the church services. And his, his attendance was better than most. Better than most members. He was there Sunday morning Bible class. He was there for worship. He was there for evening service. He was there Wednesday nights. Well, when the, when the trays came around on Sunday morning, he ate the emblems. He ate the cracker and he ate the juice. Well, the member who was a deacon, a fine man, he didn't really understand uh, that if you're not a Christian, what does that mean to you? It's a cracker and it's juice, right? doesn't mean anything to you. If you're not in a covenant relationship with Christ, then it means everything to you, right? So he came up to me and he said, Boy, I don't know what to do. Every time the trade comes along... He takes, he drinks the juice, he eats the cracker. I said, well, I'll tell you what, do. Pass him the tray. Pass him the tray. Because are you going to tell him he can't take that and then run him off? I said, man, we don't practice a closed communion. Anybody that wants to eat a piece of this cracker and drink a little cup of this juice is more than welcome to do it. Because if you're not a Christian, that's the least of your worries, eating eating the cracker and drinking the juice, right? Now, to Christians... This is why we come together, to honor the memory of Christ and to remember what He did for us. But just someone off street who's not a Christian, you know, what if an atheist came in? Would we let them partake? Sure we would. Does it matter? Well, as long as we're not letting them disrupt anything, right? Just the fact that they eat a cracker and drink juice isn't going to impact them one way or the other. That's the least of their worries. Right? If you're not a Christian, taking the communion without being a Christian is is way down on the list of things you need to get straightened out. Right? And so, if they don't take it, are they any less lost than if they do take it? No, not at all. And so, that's absolutely a closed communion. There's no purpose for a closed communion because it only means something to those for who it is intended. Right? Any comments, questions? Yes. I studied with him and he was baptized. He was baptized. Now, unfortunately, uh, after I left there and some years later, uh, he had every right to marry, but he married a woman who was a member of the Church of God and he went off into that era. And I called and spoke to him on several occasions and he said, I just don't see any difference. I said, you see a difference every time you go in there. I said, you know you do. And so, you know, let's pray for him, though. Any comments? Any other questions? All right, well, this is a good stopping point. We're just a little earlier, but we're going to get into some other stuff we don't really want to stop on. And uh we're coming to, coming kind of to the close of uh, the movement as far as individuals, okay? We're going to talk a little more about the Campbells, uh, the Campbell movement, and then we're going to kind of <clears throat> change direction, and we're going to talk a little more about how the movement overall begins to take form and things happen, other people are involved. We're going to hear some names we're familiar with, Raccoon John Smith, uh, different people like that. And we're going to see how this thing takes off and how it moves. And we're going to talk about some individual pioneer restoration, uh, preachers. We're going to talk about some things that happened in the state of Tennessee that, that has to do with the restoration movement. And then we'll, at some point we got to wind it down, right? So we'll probably wind it down after that and move on in another direction. But anyway, uh, uh, consider that and, uh, we'll pick up here next time. Thank you so much.